and welcome back to the new series of podcasts from Square Mile Behind the Screens, hosted by me, Jock Glover, Strategic Relationships Director here at Square Mile Investment Consulting and Research. In this series of podcasts, we're meeting members of investment teams from across the asset management industry whose funds we rate and trying to dig down a bit into their thinking. This week, our guest is Alex Peltesky, who is co-manager of the £430 million Aegon Strategic Bond Fund, uh, which aims to maximise total return through a combination of income and capital growth, investing across fixed income markets. And our analysts think that there's a reasonable chance of it outperforming the Bloomberg Global Aggregate Index by about 200 basis points per annum net of fees over a five-year rolling period. And as such, they've awarded it an A rating in our Academy of Funds. Alex, welcome. Thank you, Joe. Thank you very much for having me. It's my pleasure to be here and uh, hopefully we can have an interesting conversation today. Well, we'll look forward to that. Now, you and your co-manager, Colin Finlayson, um, run this portfolio together, don't you? So I suppose let's start with just how do you divide up who does what, who's doing research and do you do it by sectors? How, how, do, how do you divide the portfolio management up or is it just a group effort the whole way through? Sure. Um, that's a very good question. So Colin and I uh, have been working together on this uh, fund, but other funds as well uh, within Aegon for a number of years now. Um, my background comes from company research, credit research, and, and uh, corporate analysis versus Colin's background is more on the rate side, government bonds, uh, rate markets. Uh, and then we meet at the top. And um, this is the essence of our fund. We have, uh, we believe, two complementary skill sets. And each of us would broadly focus on those areas of specialization, but we together take all the decisions and together do the broader asset allocation risk taking within the fund. And uh, we don't work in silos. Uh, even if I am more of a credit expert and Colin is more of a rates expert, we uh, each decision we take, we uh, bounce off each other and then we have an agreement before anything is implemented. But it helps that we come from from background so that we have a good overall picture of the, of the broader markets. So if I asked you at the moment, and, and this might be particularly pertinent with what's going on in the banking sector, what themes are you running in the portfolio at the moment? What themes are we running? We we believe that um, uh, we're, we're reaching the end uh, of the hiking interest rate hiking cycle globally. Um, we can go as far as saying that we have seen probably the peaks of uh, terminal rate pricing in some global developed markets as well. And we're trying to position portfolios um, for, uh, for those events. That means we probably are moving our interest rate risk higher. And we are also expecting uh, interest rate curves in the government bond markets to steepen from here in the next 12 to 18 months. So those are our overarching uh, themes that we expect to see play out in the markets, um, broadly speaking. Um, within that, then uh, these would have different implications for uh, credit markets and credit spreads, depending on how exactly things pan out. Um, we do expect growth to be um, below trend uh, for the next, uh, say, again, period of 12 to 18 months. Um, and... Uh, is a lot as a fair bit of uncertainty in the markets now and uh, you know we have moved from pricing in recession eight weeks ago uh, to now back to growth and now to coming back and taking that growth back down towards probably no growth at all this year we think the market will continue to bounce off between 
um, these two um, main scenarios. We don't necessarily have a, a firm view that it will be one or the other, but we're definitely more cautious in positioning the portfolio for for a slowdown of economic activity and for um, therefore in credit space for dispersion between um, uh, the credit quality of the borrowers. Um, in practice, that means that we see better risk reward in investment grade um, corporates. And we do expect that um, the uh, tailwinds that the high yield borrowers have seen in the past 10 plus years from very low funding costs uh, to not be here anymore. And um, the longer we maintain those elevated levels of interest rate risks, um, the higher the burden or the threshold for those high yield borrowers will be to refinance their upcoming maturities. And we'll um, bottom line is we think that uh, credit spreads between uh, investment grade and high yield will go in different directions uh, in, in the next several months. That's really interesting. So, uh, uh, and I sort of alluded it to in my question, but what we've seen with Silicon Valley Bank um, in the States, where it would appear that those companies it's been lending money to didn't have you know, great credit potentially, maybe not making good profits, maybe not great cash flow, et cetera, which is why they've had to be rescued and bailed out. And that contagion's flipped over to here in Europe with Credit Suisse. Do you think, is that something that would keep you awake at night in terms of, is there another global financial crisis coming down the line? Or is it going to be, as you sort of said, hopefully the, the odd zombie company will go to the wall, but everyone else will just have to make their, their money work harder, as it were? Look, both of those events uh, that you mentioned, Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank in the US, and now what we're seeing with Credit Suisse, they um, are idiosyncratic events, uh, which are not representative of um, another global financial crisis for sure. However, they're, um, those are symptomatic of, um, of just the broader monetary tightening that we see. Uh, and granted, those were are hit first, in particular in the U.S., because of the now higher cost of money, essentially money is no longer free. You have to pay now for money and wrong business models are being hit first. And that's in particular the case with Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. With the, the case of Credit Suisse, it's again an idiosyncratic story, but it, it's a bit different. This has been a franchise that has been uh, impaired for several years in its investment banking operation, but that's a very small bit of the entire group, which has a very healthy and profitable Swiss bank and also very healthy and profitable wealth management business. However, investor confidence has been running out um, on, on their efforts to restructure the small investment bank, and that has led to bleeding of assets under management from the wealth management division. And in the past two days, uh, um, market has extrapolated what has happened in the US back to Credit Suisse and has put pressure uh, on management essentially to restructure faster that company as well. That's not symptomatic of a broader fin global banking financial crisis. However, we firmly expect that those two events will be a very quick reminder to all risk takers globally, including banks, that lending standards, credit standards need to be tightened. And we expect yeah. to see that trickle through the overall economy. We expect tighter credit standards. We expect lower liquidity to continue. And we expect this to have a toll on economic growth. Essentially, we think that um, um, those two events have fast forwarded um, 
the efforts of the global uh, central banks in the developed world to tighten uh, financial conditions very fast. And we think this would have direct impact on corporate growth and the job markets and overall economic activity in uh, in the next 12 months at least. So, I mean, I, I think you, you've explained how you've positioned your portfolio. And, and the, when I've spoken to other uh, fixed income managers over the course of the last sort of six months, they're probably more excited about the outlook and the prospects for their sector than they have been for a number of years. Um, with the interest rate cycle, you've said it looks like it's getting towards the end of that raising of interest rates. Um, what's your best idea then? Where, where, where are you um, positioning yourself in terms of, because you're a strategic bond fund, you can go anywhere. Where, what, where are you positioning yourself to take advantage of that that assumption that you're making at the moment? Look, we agree as well. We think fixed income markets in general have not been uh, that interesting in the past 15 years. Yeah. We think they're a very solid and actually viable, better alternative than equity markets right now and many other asset classes as well. So we do like fixed income in general, not without risks. As I mentioned, there will be a lot of idiot, more idiosyncratic stories. We started with two uh, prominent banks. We expect those to come in the highly levered corporate sector as well. But overall, we, we do like the all-in yield and investment-grade corporate bonds. We do like government bonds. We like duration. So our interest rate risk in the portfolio is over eight years uh, from an aggregate for us um, or um, medium level of maybe between four and five. And, uh, and again, as mentioned, we do expect the inverted yield curves now to be um, leveling off now and then steepening down the line. Um, we're not necessarily um, hoping to see uh, rate cuts this year, but we are firmly of the view that um, we have seen peak pricing again in terminal rates. So the opportunities, um, we think in the order of preference are government bonds and then investment grade markets. In the high yield markets, there are very uh, interesting viable companies that offer you a lot of spread and a lot of yield. So yield on most high yield bonds is exceeding 10%. Um, so that's very interesting care, which shouldn't be foregone completely, but those would need to be managed very carefully and are prone to overshooting um, credit spreads that is in high yield names, both to the upside and downside. And uh, as we have seen in the past few days, uh, this is a perfect example of that. So we do like fixed income, but we do prefer higher quality at the moment. And we think there will be a better time to deploy more risk into the high yield markets. And the uh, that duration that you've got in the portfolio, eight years, I mean, that's, is that the biggest number you've had duration-wise for you know the last five plus years or since you've been running the portfolio? That's That sounds like you've gone quite... Yes. Far away yes, from that, been historically. exactly. That's that's towards the top top end that we have had. Um, certainly for the uh, since Colin and I have been running the portfolio almost six years now, but also in the past ten years for the fund itself. Uh, since Colin and I uh, have been managing the fund, we have been as low as two and a half years, and as as high as just about where we are right now. And um, just that just that range gives you an idea of our conviction in uh, in having a high duration uh, positioning and uh, overweight government bond exposure essentially at the minute and i guess from the perspective of what would change that view and that position you'd have you know if central banks continue to raise rates rather than slow it down that that would maybe make you rethink that or is it, or, or are you relatively comfortable that at these levels of yields you can get, this is a, an opportunity to not to be missed. 
look, look, we think uh, what we saw in the past uh, two weeks uh, was that the market is already pushing back strongly against the idea that the central banks can be raising uh, terminal rates higher than uh, five and three quarters or six percent in the US. And those are already levels that are breaking things in the real economy. Um, and um, if, if you noticed, um, as soon as um, Jay Powell started talking about the next um, interest rate hike next week in the US could be again 50 basis points, rates stopped selling off. Uh, in actually, the curve started inverting even more in the long end, which is indicative of now pronounced economic stress. And yeah. uh, it was a matter of time we thought until something started breaking, and now we already have seen things breaking. Everyone is aware of the idea that monetary policy works with long and variable lags. The question was when um, that lag would come to, to the fore. So the events of the past week in the US and across in Europe in the banking space, we think surely would plant that idea into central banks' mind that things are tightening, things are tight, yet they can still go a bit more. Um, but exceeding that terminal rate uh, for the timing looks uh, quite unlikely to us. Cool. Um, thank you for that. Um, right, uh, rather than talk about the portfolio and what themes we've got on it, I'm going to ask you a different question now. Um, have you got an interesting statistic from this week? Is there anything going on in the markets that you think that people ought to focus on in terms of uh, a bit of information that people might have missed or, or, or is interesting? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I, do. I saw it yesterday. It was interesting to me as well. Uh, we saw the... Um, Biggest intraday volatility on records on the two-year uh, German government bond yields. Um, so we started the day yesterday with the two-year German government bonds yielding 3%. And midday, we went as low as 2.35. So that was nearly 70 basis points delta. And uh, someone posted that uh, this was indeed the highest intraday vote that we have seen ever in, in this type of instrument. This gives you an indication of um, the, the, the volatility that we, that we have right now in the market, as well as the amount of opportunities that you can uh, uh, have also to express your views uh, in the current environment. So that short-dated government debts with volatility of over 70 bips in a couple of hours? That's correct. Wow. Okay. That just shows you some of the stress that's out there, isn't it? Um. What, what as a bond manager, where do you see future opportunities for the sector? What do you think that's uh, it's coming down the line? And maybe I'll ask you the question actually from last week. So every week we have a a question is left behind by the by by the person I'm interviewing uh, for the following week. And and last week uh, the question that was left to me was how do you see the future opportunity for the green bond market? And is that a material component of what you do? And if not, why not? That's an interesting question. Uh, green bonds have been um, topical, I would say, in, in the past several years, gaining popularity. Um, Aegon as a group is very committed to, to sustainability and climate transition, and we do take those factors into account in all of our portfolios. Um, we are very proud to, uh, to have the, the global version of this fund achieving Article 8 on a very high exclusion list that's developed internally um, and uh, the list of uh, companies or corporates that are being excluded from um, essentially from not being able to purchase is growing by the day. Um, so I think that's a bit broader even than just uh, labeling a green bond uh, per se. 
Um, so we would like to believe that um, uh, within Aegon, we are at the forefront or we're market leaders or thought leaders in terms of sustainability. So that's uh, something that's very close to our hearts. And we definitely um, not only follow the herd, we think we're trendsetters there. Alex, that's really kind and helpful. I'm conscious that we're running a bit short on time. I think we could carry on talking about the green bonds and, and that, that uh, for a while yet. Um, but uh, I'm going to say thank you very much indeed for you, Alex, uh, for your time today um, and for your thoughts and insights. Uh, and again, I'd like to thank the listeners for your support. Uh, if you'd like to contact us, please do via either the webpage, www.squaremileresearch.com or by emailing us at info at squaremileresearch.com. This podcast is only aimed at professional advisors and regulated firms and should not be passed on to or relied upon by any other persons. It is not intended for retail investors who should obtain professional or specialist advice before taking or refraining from any action on the basis of this podcast. Remembering past performance is not an indication of future performance. It is published by and remains the copyright of Squaremart Investment Consulting and Research. Squaremart makes no warranties or representations regarding the accuracy or completeness of the information contained herein. This podcast represents the views and forecasts of Squaremart at the date of issue and may be subject to change without reference or notification to you. Nothing in this podcast shall be deemed to constitute a regulated activity or an invitation or inducement to engage in investment activity, and it is not a recommendation to buy or sell any funds or investments that are mentioned during this podcast. Thank you.